Well, and you should be in Ephesians chapter 4 by now, hopefully. Uh, and as we start out today, and as I had Kurt read starting in verse 4 uh, through verse 11, which is really our text, uh, is the beginning of verse 11, you know, just as a, uh, a background uh, in relation to what we're going to talk about today uh, is things that uh, are tied in with walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Uh, that we be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, but not at the sake of, you know, compromising the truth. The truth always must be what we stand upon. Uh, and as we, we look at this one body, this one Spirit, this one hope, this one Lord, this one faith, this one baptism, this one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That is what we must always default to. That is who we should build our faith upon. Uh, not of the uh, whims or the wayward, you know, uh, likings or dislikes of man who is fallible, uh, but instead on God himself. Uh, it is through his power that we can walk in a manner worthy of that calling. Uh, and today we're going to see that in order to safeguard the church, which Jesus Christ himself purchased with his own shed blood, as we think about Good Friday coming up a week from this Friday, the fact that Jesus Christ, um, after being you know, uh, praised and glorified as he made his triumphal entry, ends up uh, finding himself being crucified on a cross by sinful men. But that was part of God's plan from the beginning. Nothing was going to stop that. Man did not crucify Jesus, because, and Jesus was reluctant he was willing. He offered up his life to, you know, take it up once again. Uh, and as we think about those things and we think about uh, the church, which we are part of, uh, we see that Christ gave gifts. And as we'll see here in verse 11, there are four spiritual offices uh, that were given at the, the infancy, at the beginning of the church age, uh, which would have been marked with Jesus Christ offering his life and as we take a look at the canon of Scripture of everything that we have, um, from Matthew all the way to the book of Revelation, uh, as that New Testament or that new covenant uh, in Christ's blood, uh, not to discredit or to remove the Old Testament, because in the Old Testament, uh, it is the New Testament concealed, and in the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed, because Jesus Christ is in the Bible from beginning to end. All Scripture is God-breathed. Uh, and it's all about Jesus Christ and what he was going to come to do in order that you and I could have forgiveness of sins and be part of his family, to be reborn, to be part of this church. And as you remember, uh, Christ sovereignly gives these gifts. Uh, he gives these gifts for a particular purpose, and that is to build the church that he purchased with his own blood. Remember, we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, and I'll start reading in verse 4 to refresh your memory. It says, Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Verse 11 goes on to say, All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Verse 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, 
as he chose. See, God was safeguarding his bride. The bride that was meant for his son. A bride that was purchased by the precious blood of the lamb. And because he did that, because he sovereignly gave himself and sovereignly has given gifts to build up this church, this bride, this body of believers, there are some things that we need to understand and see as we step into these four spiritual offices. Because Christ gives these gifts, because he purchased them, because he purchased the church, he assigns their use, their frequency, and their tenure. So as I told you, they're assigned by God. They are chosen by God. They are empowered by God so that the church may be built up. And it's only when man tries to supersede or to interject into that to put his wisdom where only God's wisdom and order should be that the church gets into trouble. And the thing is, is that, yes, positionally who we are in Jesus Christ is that as God looks at me, a sinner saved by grace, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. And that is true for every believer here this morning. But none of us are perfect practically in how we live the rest of our lives. We're not perfect because the day of perfection has not come. And that's not until we have a glorified body and we're in the presence of God forever. So in other words, we still struggle with sin. And so as Christ is assigning these gifts for the purpose of building up his church, his bride, his body, which he is head over, there are times in which the church itself can dishonor him because they act out of the flesh, because they twist the word of God, because they don't focus and stand on the word of God itself. They don't sing or believe the songs that they sing that, you know, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And so there are four offices, and as you look at verse 11, you're probably going to say, well, isn't there five things there? Well, yes, there are, but there are only four offices. It says, and he gave, and who's the one who gave? Christ himself. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor and teachers. Pastor, teacher is one office. And we'll speak to that in future weeks, um, probably going to be after Easter. Um, but today we're going to take a look at the first two spiritual offices. Uh, we're going to see that uh, they are gifts from God, uh, gifts from Christ for the church for a particular purpose and for a particular time frame. And we're going to see that unfold this morning. So apostles and prophets, the first two offices that Jesus Christ gave, four, or two of four spiritual offices. We can read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 27, that uh, also echoes this order that we see in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And that's speaking of everyone who's put their faith and trust in Christ, everyone part of the body of believers, the church. And verse 28 says, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues, which we're going to get to all of those in future weeks. But you'll see that the order there and the first two that are mentioned are apostles and prophets. And there's a reason for that that we're going to see unfold this morning. 
But let's take a, a little bit of a journey to understand what an apostle is or what a prophet is, just to refresh our memories, because we have spoken about them in the past. You remember at the very beginning of the book of Ephesians, Paul says, at the, the greeting, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Well, see, an apostle is one sent out as a messenger of Jesus Christ. Sent out with a particular message. Well, what is the particular message that an apostle would be sent out to send or to communicate? Well, they would be communicating God's revealed will through them to the church. To tell them of the mystery of Christ. That both Jew and Gentile can receive forgiveness of sins and be reconciled to God, have peace with God because of Jesus Christ. And you'll find that apostles, uh, as their focus, are more doctrinal in what they put forth. Apostles would go from church to church, area to area, to communicate God's revealed truth to the church itself. And we can look at the scriptures, and in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1, we see that Jesus is the greatest apostle. It says there uh, in verse 1, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He's not just a apostle or an apostle among many. He is the apostle. So when we think about that, and by definition what an apostle is, it's a beautiful picture that Jesus is God himself, communicating in the flesh to people in the first century who God is, because he's living it out. This is not just a message that he was given from God the Father that he is, you know, communicating. It is true that it is, but he is also God, because he is the Son of God. And so there is a, a personal connection. And this is why he is the apostle, because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He came not only to proclaim it, he is that very thing. He is that very person. And so as we look at the scriptures, you're going to notice that there are two different types of apostles that you will notice springing up in the scriptures. Uh, they're what we call big A apostles. Uh, it's not because they were just larger guys. Uh, is because of their particular calling in relation to the ministry. These big A apostles would have been the original 12 apostles, minus Judas that was replaced by Matthias, that Jesus Christ himself chose to be his apostles in the church. Plus one. And can you guess who the plus one is? Paul himself. And we looked at this many sermons ago, and we're not going to take the time to, uh, to defend that. Uh, we've already taken a look at that. But these big A apostles, which would have been the 12, uh, which would have included Matthias, but also Paul himself, you'll notice in the scriptures always refer to them as apostles of Jesus Christ. Okay, Because anyone can be sent. Anyone can be a herald or an ambassador and can communicate any type of message to any particular type of people. But notice that these big A apostles have a particular focus. They are apostles of Jesus Christ. And therefore, the one that they are telling everyone about is not themselves, not lifting or boasting up or making themselves on the platform. And oh, by the way, I know Jesus. No, Jesus is at the very forefront. Jesus is the one they proclaim. 
But then there's also little a apostles. And as we look at them scripturally, um, 2 Corinthians 8 um, verse 23 actually calls these little a apostles, ones that were sent as messengers of Jesus Christ, as messengers of the church. Both of these apostle groups, big A and little a, uh, were communicating the truth of Jesus Christ. But these big A apostles were chosen directly by Christ, and they were ones that witnessed the resurrected Christ. That's what separated the big A apostles from the little A apostles, and not being just someone who was sent. You know, and if you really want to look at little A apostles in a modern setting where we wouldn't call them apostles, we would call them missionaries because they are sent to communicate the gospel to the world. But these big A apostles <clears throat> had to see the resurrected Christ and had to be directly appointed by Jesus himself. That's why there's 12 plus 1, 13 apostles that fit that, Paul being the last. All right, and this is important, and I know this may seem, you know, as you're, we're, we're going through this, well, you know, are apostles and prophets relevant today? Well, we're going to get to that. But as you look at the biblical account, there is no account of any of the apostles, any of the original uh, 12 plus 1, fashioning someone to replace them to be an apostle after they die. <clears throat> Matter of fact, what we see the apostles doing in Acts chapter 14 is they actually appoint elders in the church, which is a different office altogether. They don't you know, appoint apostles in each of the churches, they appoint elders. And that's because, as we're going to see, the office of apostle as well as the office of prophet had a particular focus for a particular time frame. And once that focus was fulfilled, there was no more need for them. And as you look in the book of Acts, apostles are not even used after Acts chapter 16. And that was because they had a time frame. They had a shelf life in relation to what their focus would be. And the thing is, is that they were still mortal men. And they were going to end up dying for the sake of Jesus Christ. So that's apostles. And let's go ahead and we're going to define prophet. And then I'm going to speak to both. And then I'm going to give you a modern day real world example for you to see. Uh, as well as to caution you about as we get a little deeper into the sermon this morning. So apostle was one sent out as a messenger of Jesus Christ, big A ones chosen by Christ who had witnessed his resurrection, little A ones that were still messengers of Jesus Christ, proclaiming doctrinal truths to the infant church. Prophets were one who speak God's truth to others, but not to be confused with the gift of prophecy, which we'll take a look at. So again, these are offices, office of apostle, office of prophet. And as you look at the Old Testament, you'll have all kinds of examples of prophets. You know, we've got the minor prophets and the major prophets in the Old Testament. And they always had a message or a revelation from God, or were explaining a revelation from God so that God's people would understand if you had to really boil them down into, you know, a, a small, neat little package, is, is, is if you obeyed God, there would be blessing, and if you disobeyed God, there would be consequences, not good ones. Because God was jealous of his people, he loved them, and therefore uh, wanted them and needed them to worship him. But you'll notice from the, the end of the book of Malachi, there is a 400-year silent period where no prophet of God speaks. 
400 years for four of your lifetimes, if you live to 100, and some of you are just out of spite, going to live past 100, just to prove me wrong, right? 400 years where the prophets of God, which revealed God's word to God's people, did not speak. But then the prophet, who is the prophet, priest, and king, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords, would come on the scene. And that's where we have the New Testament and everything that we have in relation to Christ's life while he was here on earth. Jesus was the greatest prophet. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus himself was and is God Almighty. So not only was he proclaiming the Word of God, he himself is God proclaiming his Word to the world. So that's why he is the greatest prophet of all. And New Testament prophets you know, exclusively ministered within the local body of believers, either speaking revelation from God or interpreting that revelation from God so that the church would understand and would be able to grow. Because remember, they didn't have the canon of Scripture. The way that they were able to know God and God's will and God's revealed will to them was through the apostles and the prophets. But it was always, I repeat, always for building up the church so that the church could glorify God. Not for self-gain, not for them to be lifted up on a pedestal, not for them to gain you know, earthly you know, wealth or fame or fortune, whatever they might be, because a true prophet, a true apostle, always pointed to their Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why they were apostles of Jesus Christ, prophets of God. And the thing is, as you look at the New Testament, a prophet's message was always to be judged by what the apostles had already said. So there was never a competition. There was always a checks and a balance and accountability, even for the prophets. Because as we will find later on in our time together this morning, is that there were false prophets, false apostles, false teachers who would twist the word of God for their own benefit, who would not consider the flock of God at all. They only considered what they could gain from it and were happy to be deceived themselves and to deceive others. So what are the responsibilities that God gave to these apostles and prophets? As we take a look at them in the New Testament and these two offices, well, first, or actually the first two, come right out of Ephesians. So you should already know the answer. So if I were to give a test right now, you'd be able to answer the question, right? None of you seem convinced. If we were here in the first service, I could maybe pin you a little bit more. But the first two, they're in your bulletin. You can take a look at them. The responsibilities that God gave to these apostles and prophets first was to lay the foundation of the church, which Jesus himself is the cornerstone. So look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, just to refresh your memory, because the apostles and prophets laid the foundation of the church, which Jesus Christ himself is the cornerstone. In other words, he is the basis of every measurement and everything aligns with Jesus. Not the prophets, not the apostles, Jesus. It's always about God, not men. It says there in verse 19, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, 
but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I lost my place, sorry. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So the first thing that you need to see is that the apostles and prophets of the New Testament were there for a particular purpose, and that was to lay the foundation of the church, to point everything to Jesus Christ and what he accomplished, and to set that as the foundation so that the foundation of the church was based in the righteousness that can only come from God as opposed to the self-righteousness of men. Because every other religion, apart from true Christianity, is all about how I can be right in my own eyes or right in the eyes of some other person who tells me this is how I can make them happy or be right with them. Every group, every sect is always about self-righteousness, whereas true Christianity and what the foundation of the church itself was always about the righteousness that comes only from God. And that's what distinguished a false prophet or apostle from a true apostle or prophet. It was, so the church itself was built on that foundation, Christ being the cornerstone. Second was that they receive and proclaim God's revelation of himself in Christ, which comes out of Ephesians chapter 3. So look down a, a couple verses later, Ephesians chapter 3, starting in verse 4. It says, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So the second thing that characterize a true apostle or a true prophet of God is the fact that they proclaimed what God had revealed about Christ. That Jesus Christ was the Messiah that was you know, looked forward to by generations, hundreds and hundreds of years prior. And after 400 years of there being no word from God, here you have the, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, fulfilling the prophecies that were told about him in the Old Testament and the apostles and the prophets proclaiming that to that generation. A mystery of Christ, and what is that mystery that was given to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit? Notice that. So it's not by tradition. It's not by men. This is by the Spirit himself. This revelation has been known, and that is that Jews and Gentiles can know Jesus Christ, that salvation is in him and him alone. And third, responsibility that God gave to these uh, apostles and prophets in the first century was the ability to do signs and wonders and mighty works. This comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, where it says, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. And the thing to distinguish here is that these weren't, you know, things that didn't happen immediately. When an apostle or a prophet did some sort of sign and wonder and mighty work, it was immediate because it was done by the power of God. 
It wasn't their ability to somehow convince someone that they're better. They were healed because the power of God through them healed them. And so these were earmarks, these were litmus tests that also showed a genuine apostle and a genuine prophet from those that were false prophets and apostles in Jesus' day, which were there, that were proclaiming things that were not true about God. But both these offices, as we take a look at apostles and prophets, were crucial. And again, I repeat, crucial to preparing the way to laying the foundation of what we believe today. And that wasn't about themselves. It wasn't five easy steps so that you can no longer be anxious about anything, even though the ladies are studying and being anxious. It's coming from the Word of God. It's not someone's thoughts about it. It's actually the Word of God itself. See, they were proclaiming God's revelation until the Word of God was completed. So you have the full revelation of God right here in the Holy Bible. We are cautioned to not add to or take away from this book because we have nothing to add or to take away. You know, as we sing, what, what, who are we to tell God something that he does not know? Who are we to add to the word of God? You know, I can add all kinds of things to the word of God, but again, consider the source. Now, I can proclaim the word of God and to the very best of my ability, study it and show myself a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But I still need to be submissive to the Holy Spirit for him to work in and through me. See, both of these offices were crucial in the first century to establish the foundation of the church, a foundation on which we stand right now. Or at least some churches stand on right now, and that foundation is the Word of God. There are many churches that call themselves Christian churches that do not stand solely on the Word of God. They bring to or add to or take away from the actual Word of God. So the thing is, is when we look at this, the apostles and prophets, their main thrust, their main calling, their main responsibility before God was to lay the foundation of the church. The church's foundation was laid in the first century. You know, when you build a regular house, you, you build the foundation first, and then you build up from that foundation. You don't keep building the foundation underneath the house, no matter what they do with raising the houses around here and replacing the foundation. That's not how it works, biblically. The foundation has been laid, and therefore the office of apostle and the office of prophet fulfilled their call of God. And when those original 12 plus 1 apostles died and the apostles that were little a apostles in that first century continued to put, put forth the word of God, and once the word of God was, was codified into the canon of scripture that we have today, there is no new revelation from God. Matter of fact, there is portions of your Bible right now that are still waiting to be fulfilled yet. Jesus has not come back. The whole, you know, the, the book of Revelation, there is judgment yet coming and the glorification of the Lamb of God, who is holy, 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 as we sung this morning. 
See, when the canon of Scripture came to its completion, when Revelation was penned in 95 AD, at the close of that, there was no longer any need for there to be apostles and prophets because the foundation had been laid. God had revealed as he you know, breathed the scripture, as he you know, moved men through the Holy Spirit to pen the words of the New Testament, as we find in Peter. Once that was accomplished, the office of apostle and prophet had fulfilled its purpose. Its tenure was over. Their use was no more because the foundation had been set. And so you're probably wondering at this point, well, thank you, Pastor Bill, for that very concise understanding of apostles and prophets, but you just told us that they are no more needed, so why do we need to even study them? Well, there's a reason for it, because the word of God returns no void. It always accomplishes that which is set out for, and if it's in the Bible, it's there for a reason, and I'm going to share the reason why we need to know that the office of apostle and prophet has fulfilled what God originally intended in laying the foundation of the church. Because you don't lay the foundation as you're putting up the walls. You don't lay the foundation as you're putting on the roof. And see, we are building on that foundation, which its cornerstone is Christ, which is Christ's church, Christ's bride. And so we continue to build on that foundation that was set. That brings us to a particular movement that I'm going to be sharing with you. And as I share this, you know, don't tune me out because I'm going to have an actual tie-in that I'm praying you will take in the, the meaning for which it's being shared. And sometimes it's hard as we look at the church and, and we look at wanting to be unified across boundaries or divisions that are things that men put in place. But there are some things that are non-negotiable. There are things that we need to look at from a biblical standpoint that we need to be cautioned about and to test to make sure is true. And that brings me to this next main point, which is the new apostolic reformation. If you're unaware, in the turn of the 20th century, so in other words, from 1901 forward to 2000, uh, there was this reestablishment of, and I'll put in quotes, lost offices of apostles and prophets to lay the foundation for what would be or what they're looking to be a global church. And we've seen a rapid expansion of this movement since 2001. Its late founder, um, C. Peter Wagner, who was a self-anointed apostle, claimed that the church of the 21st century will be ruled by apostles and prophets. So you can see, as we even begin looking at this, the magnitude of them reclaiming these particular offices, which were very authoritative because the canon of Scripture had not been completed. God had not finished revealing until he revealed everything to John as he finished the book of Revelation. And here we have a movement that is looking to say that the church should be ruled by apostles and prophets and it's going to be a global church. And know that the new apostolic reformation has its fingers not only in the United States of America, but all over the world. They are self-appointed apostles and prophets. And as such, 
they see themselves as the final authority because as you look at the authority of the apostles and prophets in the first century and their purpose of revealing the word of God spoken to them, to the church, but also explaining that revelation to the church so that the church could be built up and that God could be glorified through the church, they have appointed themselves as these apostles and prophets to be what will be the ruling class over this global church. They are the final authority. You do not question them because questioning them actually means that you're speaking against God himself. Which, first century apostles and prophets, true apostles and prophets, you would be speaking against God because it was God's revelation through those individuals for the purpose of laying the foundation of the church. They see themselves equal to the big A apostles, which is very dangerous because that means that God's not done speaking yet, that there's more that God wants you to know and that, you know, even though it's been since the end of the first century to the 21st century, all of a sudden now God is speaking through these offices that were lost, and these are self-appointed apostles, which we know that a true apostle was appointed by Jesus Christ and had seen the resurrected Christ. So anyone claiming to be an apostle today, and the likes of a big A apostle, the way they get around that is by saying they've gotten direct revelation from God and have had in-person visits from Jesus and angels, or even going up into heaven itself and talked with Jesus and the former apostles and prophets. And in order to safeguard this just a little bit more as they emphasize dreams and visions and extra-biblical revelation, not the scripture itself, which we have, they created, and, and one individual mostly, Brian Simmons, wrote the Passion, Passion Translation of the Bible. And he wrote that Bible in order to support as he reworded scriptures to support the movement of the new apostolic reformation. So who's the question? You've got a Bible translation that they say is inspired by God. They are taking offices that were appointed by God for a particular purpose of laying the foundation of the church, but now all of a sudden they're back on the scene once again. And even as they emphasize these dreams, visions, and extra-biblical revelations, as you listen to any of their prophecies, which if you spend any time on YouTube, you've probably had a thread pop up on your YouTube where someone is prophesying this. And even in the, in the last you know, presidential cycle, we saw a lot of this happening. But their, their prophecies are vague because they're not prophecies from God. They're vague and they can be easily altered or reinterpreted. So if they only get part of it right, then we can rework it and say, well, you know what, I just misunderstood what God said, and therefore, now we're going to kind of go in this direction over here. When God revealed his will, his word to his prophets, there was no confusion. There was no misinterpretation. They were exact. They were precise. So much so that we knew that Jesus would be born of a virgin, that he would be born in Bethlehem. Things just like that, that he would be of the line of David, fulfilling all those prophecies that were over hundreds and hundreds of years. They weren't vague, they were precise because it comes from the God who knows everything. 
And it's his revelation to, to people. And see, this group is looking to establish an earthly kingdom through what they call empowerment to dominate. And they're looking to have this, this empowerment and dominating in government, in business, in entertainment, in media, in education, in religion, and family. So the whole gamut. Everywhere. Because again, in order to have this movement set the foundation for a global church, they have to have their fingers everywhere. But the thing is, is that they're not standing on the truth of the word of God because they're reintroducing offices that have fulfilled their purpose for the distinct purpose of putting forth their particular agenda when it comes to what they envision the church to be and that God has more for us. And think about it. If this is not the complete word of God, if the foundation has not been laid, then who's to say what is right or wrong? Who's to say what we should believe or not believe? Because, well, I'm an apostle of God. I'm a prophet of God. I'm a pastor teacher. See, the thing is, once you deviate from the supremacy of the word of God, then anything, you you could be up to any whim that any teacher comes up with and leads you astray. That's why we stick to the word of God. And you're probably wondering, so Pastor Bill, why all of this? It's coming, trust me. Because the rest of this is just application. And these are important applications. So how does this inform our lives today? First, there will always be those who claim to be apostles and prophets, or what we consider false apostles and prophets, just like they were in the first century, just like there were false prophets in the Old Testament. Then there will be false teachers as well. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. See, the thing is, is that there are false prophets that say they have a word from the Lord, but all it is is really a conjuring up of maybe a dream or a vision or something that they perceive to happen and say it's from God. Jesus warned in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7 about false teachers, false prophets. Paul, in speaking to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 29, says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, and you should underline that, because it's not just coming from without. This can actually come from within. They will rise up, men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. See, it's possible with as much as we are connected to the world around us, that at one point in order to hear uh, a teacher from another church, you'd have to subscribe to their tape program and you know, put a dollar in the mail and wait for an audio cassette tape to come back. Now all you got to do is get on the internet and you can Google on YouTube and listen to anybody whether they are truly preaching the word of God or not. In 2 Peter 2, verse 1, it says, But false prophets also arose among the people. Okay, And this is speaking back in context to God's people in the Old Testament. So just as there was false prophets that rose among you in the Old Testament times, just as there will be false teachers among you, which the you in this context is the church, 
who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought or bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. So in other words, making a Jesus of their own liking. Or to say that Jesus' words plus this over here. So here's the connection. And I need everybody to pay close attention. I think we are living in a day and age where to pretend as if it doesn't matter, we are not given the luxury to do. Because when I was talking about the new apostolic reformation, I'm going to give you four well-known teachers and ministries that they represent, and all of a sudden, the stuff's going to hit the wall. Mike Bickle, who you may not know, part of the International House of Prayer, which I hate because I like IHOP, which is the International House of Pancakes. <laughs> this one you're going to know, Bill Johnson. If you don't know the name Bill Johnson, Bethel Church. Brian and Bobby Houston, Hillsong Church. And Dutch Sheets is another big name that was actually by the founder of C. Peter Wagner seen as basically being very instrumental in taking his place uh, once he left, once he died and went, hopefully, to heaven. See, the thing is, just because someone says they're Christian does not mean that they stand on the supremacy of the Word of God. And the thing is, Bethel, Hillsong, Jesus culture... If you turn on K-Love any day of the week, you're going to be embarded, that's not the right word, bombarded by their music. Which as you look at their music, it's catchy. They're tunes that stick with you. And even the words are vague enough to even, if you're not looking for it, be acceptable. But you've got to consider the source. Because they're coming out of this, you know, global church, these self-anointed apostles and prophets who say they're going to reign over this global church, who are looking to dominate and empower themselves to dominate in government, business, entertainment, media, education, religion, and family, not standing on the word of God but really standing on their own doctrine that also happens to incorporate at least part of the Word of God, not all of it. That's why we need to see that the Word of God is complete. Sola Scriptura. Scripture alone. So, church family, be careful as you're looking at these YouTube videos, as you're, you're you know, having all these different threads coming up through your emails and such, be careful of those who say they have a new, and I'll put new in quotes, teaching or revelation from God. Because that's exactly how cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons had their start. They say that it is part of this revelation that God has given to them, but it's not a revelation from God. Because we know even Satan himself is masquerades as an angel of light that he takes the truth of the word of God and twists it just enough, may even use the same terminology so that we think it's good and we think it's safe, when in reality, if we dig a little bit deeper and take more than just a surface look, 
we find that these are coming out of doctrinally unsound churches and ministries that are looking to promote and elevate themselves to positions of authority and, and leadership and praise, taking that away from God himself. See, our faith is settled. Jude 3 and 4 says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I contend, I'm I'm urging you, make sure that the faith, the belief that you have is based in the word of God, not in the words of men. Because remember, scripture is inspired. God breathed. It says in verse 4, for certain people have crept in unnoticed. Bethel, Hillsong, Jesus culture. That's not in the text, by the way. But you see, they've crept in because we have access to all kinds of Christian music. And I'm not saying that everyone who writes every Christian song on Caleb is, you know, has an agenda behind it. But we know some big names that believe in this new apostolic reformation doctrine, which is not biblical. So can we trust their songs? Because again, they're looking to pull disciples to themselves to come underneath this one banner of this global church. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So even as the the New Testament was being finalized, as God's final revelation was coming to the writers of the New Testament, even then... There were false teachers, false apostles, false prophets, and we're seeing some of that same stuff in our own day and age. You have to remember what it says in Proverbs 30, verse 5, that God's word is true because every word of God proves true. He is the shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. I have nothing to add to the word of God. God's word stands on its own. He is the one who has protected it. He is the one who breathed through as the Spirit led the writers of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. This is all we need right here. We don't need the Bible plus something else. And finally, God's kingdom is not of this world. Because again, they're talking about this establishing of an earthly kingdom through this empowerment to dominate. Listen to words of Jesus in John 18, 36. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. Which goes with what Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So my pleading to you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, is to make sure that everything you listen to, everything that you study, has its foundation 
a foundation that was laid by the apostles and prophets in the first century as the very words of God to us and not the words of men or people that tell you that it's the Bible plus or what they prophesy and what they reveal and then they go back and try and proof text what their revelation is to tie it back into scripture in order to give them some more authority. See, God does not need to be defended. He is the truth. His word is truth. And his spirit guides us in spirit and in truth. That's what we need to stand on. That's what we need to remember as children of God today.